I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us. Oh, no, not yet. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was a new strange signal coming from the back. We're working on ways to bypass this. As with many things, sometimes it takes a bit to get all the tech in line. Just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church, along with City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing via Zoom by dropping us an email, or you can come and visit us in person at 11 a.m. here at Chelsea. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24 and then to Revelation chapter 9. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true, and I ask that you would speak to us through your word today. And let your Holy Spirit rest on me that I can bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pick up with verse 3. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to death, tribulation, and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then to Revelation chapter 9, just the last two verses, verses 21, 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. A couple of weeks ago, Andrew and I were having a, a great lunch together on the King's Road. Uh, we'd had a fine time, had a coffee together out in the nice sunshine. Uh, he had to go one way, I had to go the other way. So I went to my bus stop to wait for the uh, uh, trusty or untrusty 19 bus. Uh, whether whichever, and uh, so I wanted to send uh, Andrew a nice text message thanking him. I don't know about you, but I've never been one of those two-thumbed texters, you know. I, I just can't, I, my thumbs don't work that way. 
and I can't hold it. So I always hold it firmly in my hand and I was texting away and I heard the hum and I glanced up and, and there was a guy riding on an electric bike and before I knew it, the guy tried to grab my phone out of my hand. And he grabbed the phone, and, but he couldn't hold on to it because I think I had a harder grip than what he anticipated. So he just knocked the phone out of my hand and it went out into the middle of the road uh, and uh, he just kept going on and was very lucky I didn't have a crossbow or a gun or something like that <laughs> along with me at the time. And, uh, and I had all these people come up and the phone was not hurt, thank God. You know, and a couple of people came, oh man, you were so lucky. Said, well, luck didn't have anything to do with it. God was watching out for me. But uh, it was kind of an interesting day. You know, it was, it was a rather interesting time. And uh, Andre and I, I think it was Andre, I, he and I were at Hotel Chocolate, uh, one of my favorite little places to uh, take people for a nice cup of coffee these days because it has a lot of chocolate in it. And, uh, you know, just a spoonful of chocolate makes the coffee go down. Uh, in the most delightful way. So we're sitting there, and we're, we're just talking and sharing and encouraging one another. And this guy walks in the shop, grabs several boxes of chocolates off the shelf, and then runs out. And that was not the first time. Actually, that was about the third time that I've been there that that happened. They've asked me not to come back, I think, because of that. No, not really. Uh, but uh, the last time I was in, I commented on it. I said, well, hopefully nobody will steal anything. And the woman said, yeah, the, the patrons get so upset, but we're so used to it right now. It's just really quite extraordinary. I was reading a newspaper story. It was anonymous for obvious reasons you'll find out. And this woman, who was a middle-class woman, lives out in the Shires somewhere, was talking about how she now makes it a regular practice to shoplift when she goes to the supermarket. And she likes to see what she can get away with. And she does it not because she needs it, not because she can't afford it, but simply because she can. I read in the same paper another anonymous story uh, about a guy who uh, travels on business a lot, and he knows the places where he goes. He knows all the hotels that he can sneak into to get a free breakfast while they're serving breakfast. And he doesn't want to pay for it because it's 18, 19 pounds. And so he'll stay at a cheap motel, a hotel, and then go and steal the breakfast. Uh, I was reading an article that said, a nation of shopkeepers, that's what they used to refer to the, uh, England as, a nation of shopkeepers has become a nation of shoplifters. Now, right now, people steal with impunity because they know mostly they can get away with it or if they do get caught, uh, you know, the chances are nil and the consequences are very slight. The British Retail Consortium, BRC, estimates that there were 8 million theft incidents in British shops last year. 8 million, uh, costing about 953 million pounds. 8 million. Uh, it's a, a the, the increase of shop theft is a long-term rising trend, according to the BRC, with incidents more than doubling since 2016-17. Only about 21,000 are prosecuted. That represents about a quarter of 1% of all the incidents. 
Only about 21,000 are prosecuted, and most just receive a fine. Just receive a short fine. Enfield Council, I don't know if any of you live in Enfield, uh, they've just recently dismissed three of their four uh, quality control officers, uh, the trading standard officers, and the fourth one, who led the team, quit in protest. So Enfield Council no longer has any trading standard officers. Yet last year, the trading standard officers seized over 28,000 packets of smuggled cigarettes, 14 and a half kilos of smuggled tobacco, 1,300 vapes, invested, investigated over 1,200 complaints and inquiries from businesses and residents, including over 20 incidents involving road roofers and builders. Now the whole council will have nobody to check on the dishonest weights and measures. If you're getting a kilo of fruit, is it really a kilo? If you're getting a liter of petrol, is it really a liter? Is it pure? If you're buying a bottle of vodka, is it really vodka? Or is it someone else? Well, they have nobody to check anymore. Karen and I were out walking the other day and uh, walking home and uh, there was a, a place with, with one of those traffic control areas and a motorcycle just came barreling through the red light, almost hit us, uh, and, and the red was against him. But he, obviously he didn't see anybody. You know, routinely we're almost struck by cyclists on the pavement uh, or people on scooters and things like that. And, uh, and what we're seeing now is that more and more people are so frustrated that they're trying to enforce the law themselves. You see this now with a lot of the Just Stop Oil protesters who themselves uh, continually disrupt and cause problems. Many people feel like the police forces are completely impotent to do anything about any of these things. And so now a lot of councils and high streets are hiring private police forces to do the policing for them. These are all, and there's many, many others, I could go on for a long time, these are all examples of what the Bible today, the passage we read, calls lawlessness. Lawlessness. And these are examples of the growing lawlessness that we're seeing in our Babylonian society, our Babylonian culture. And it's really problematic because our society only exists by what's called the rule of law. So lawlessness is an existential threat to everything in our society. It's a threat for social breakdown. And if you want to see the natural outworking of lawlessness, all you have to do is look at France the last few days. You might say that, oh, well, it's a protest uh, for police brutality, and certainly that kicked it off. But it's hard to say that uh, a light-skinned, clearly middle-class person running out of a Zara shop that has been broken into with their arms full of clothes, you can hardly say that that's a protest against police brutality. What it is, is an example of lawlessness. And we shouldn't be surprised that this happened. In fact, Lawlessness is a confirmation of the truth of the Bible. Jesus doesn't tell us that everything is just going to get better and better and better. He tells us some very clear things in the passage. He said that there are going to be many who stumble and fall away. 
He said that there'll be many who betray and hate one another. He said that there'll be many false prophets that arise to lead many astray. Those are all happening. And he said, because of lawlessness will be increased, will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. These things are going on right now. We're seeing the manifestation of lawlessness. In fact, in our society that we're calling a Babylon society, in our society, we are living in times of lawlessness. And you can see it in a number of ways. In Revelation chapter 9, John saw an end time manifestation of lawlessness. And he saw it in terms of four major sin areas, which we're seeing all around us right now. These four sin areas are indicators of rising lawlessness. And John saw a time when people would refuse to repent. They would, wouldn't even acknowledge that they've done anything wrong, even when they see the consequences of what's happening before them. And he saw a time when people would continue to walk in idolatry, who would worship gods of their own creation, who would actually even worship demons and not even recognize it. And a lot of sin would work itself out through this failure to repent and this, this idolatry that was going on. And he identified it in four different areas. First of all, he said that there would be murders. This is to deprive a person of life, literally or figuratively, often with, with violence against the person. Now, Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, hey, you've heard it said, don't kill. But I tell you, you know, if you're dealing with somebody in anger and in hatred, you've killed them. You've murdered them. And we see the manifestation of this all around us in our society, on social media, on people being uh, deplatformed and canceled. I mean, murder is a form of cancellation. And we're seeing this manifested all around us. And we're seeing it increasing and see it increasing in some pretty horrific ways where even now children are being killed quite routinely. <coughs> Sorry about that. So we're seeing murders. And then he said there's another one, sorceries. Now the word translated sorceries is the word from which we get pharmacy. It's pharmacon. It actually has to do with drugs, using magical techniques and substances like drugs to manipulate people. And this is happening. We've heard for years about how a lot of women always hold on to their drinks if they're in a club because you never know if somebody's going to spike the drink. Well, somebody put drugs in there to control the person. Drugs are being used routinely to control people or modify their behavior. In some psychiatry, it's about drugs more than it is about helping the person resolve their personal, emotional, and spiritual issues. One of the reasons why we focus so much on resolving things as the body of Christ, not just helping people to cope with things. We see sexual immorality. That's the third area that he mentions. And that's all forms of sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. And you don't have to look any further than central London yesterday. 
to see how this is on the rise, how it's expanding. This would include pornography. This even includes the celebration or the positive depiction of sexual immorality on TV shows. It used to be that uh, people jumping into bed together on the first date was seen as very rare and, and very uncommon. And now it's portrayed as very uncommon if they don't. And it's exactly what John saw in the book of Revelation, the increase of sexual immorality. And then also he said thefts, theft in all of its forms. This is to take without permission someone else's property, to take away something forcefully, like riding along in an electric bike and grabbing it out of somebody's hand, or through coercion, through things like online theft, identity theft. And what we've seen is the way that people steal has multiplied exponentially over the last 20 years. And John said this is going to continue to grow, that all four of these areas, murders, sorceries, uh, sexual immorality, and theft, will continue to grow into the end times. And that's an expectation. And these things are demonically energized. They're motivated by demons, and they're energized by demons. There's a demonic power, for example, behind pornography. There's a demonic power behind some of these things and how they're working their way into people's lives. But it's not just Babylonian society that's seen lawlessness. It's also happening amongst Christians in Babylon. And we're seeing an increase even amongst people who call themselves Christians. People are refusing to repent and live according to God's word. We see that there's a lack of personal discipline and a lack of personal holiness in so many lives. We see uh, what, what we call unsanctified mercy, where we show mercy in ways that God doesn't show mercy. Oh, that's okay that you behave that way. Yeah, we know that it's against the Bible, but don't worry, God really loves you. And, and he'll forgive you. He doesn't mind. Well, let me tell you, God does mind. God is a holy God. We see even some places where sinfulness is celebrated or openly supported. And you can see this in the Church of England. You see it in the United Reformed Church. Uh, all across the body of Christ. All around the West. You're seeing this happen. And we're also seeing an increase and something that my friend Josh Kane up at Mill Hill East, uh, he identified, he calls it promiscuous spirituality. Like that, promiscuous spirituality. Promiscuous means uh, if somebody slept around a lot, jumped from partner to partner to partner, that's called promiscuous. In promiscuous spirituality, people jump from leader to leader to leader, church to church to church, uh, television program to television program to television program and, uh, and and they're looking at all these different things but they never really make a commitment it's church hopping on steroids seeking ever new teachings and fresh leaders and in, in some cases people creating their own Jesus instead of the Jesus of the Bible well I don't think Jesus would do that so I'm gonna 
I'm going to say that Jesus was uh, trans. Or I'm going to say, and there are people who have said that, by the way. We even see this, we even see murders uh, amongst Christians. The rivalry, the spirit of rivalry, the personal attacks on other people, especially leaders that are happening. Uh, Ezekiel 22, uh, the, uh, God show, showed this to Ezekiel. He called it, men in you who slander to shed blood. We attack other people personally as, as kind of a form of murder, and even actual murders. There was a horrific story here uh, recently, this last week, about a pastor in the United States who shot his wife and then shot himself in front of their three children. And this kind of thing is becoming more and more common. We see the, the sorceries, the people who are using spiritual techniques or even the prophetic to try to manipulate or coerce other people. You see self-centered or self-promoting leadership. I love this story of the pastor in Philadelphia who was fired by the church. So what he did was lock the church out of the building. And, uh, and the judge sided with the pastor because the church didn't fire the pastor properly according to the church bylaws. And so, so they've got this whole thing going on that's been going on for five years now. Five years. And then, of course, you've got the sexual immorality. There's too many of these scandals even to mention. Uh, plus many that you've never heard of, increasingly wicked. And then thefts, incidents of stealing or embezzling from churches. It's extraordinary how much that's increasing. And there's leaders who are using the church resources for their own benefit and their own prosperity. Sometimes it's just a little bit, and sometimes it's a lot of it. And all of these are indicators of the increasing lawlessness that we're seeing in our Babylonian society. And of course, lawlessness has consequences. Jesus said the increase of lawlessness leads to the decrease of love. The love of many will go cold. And even in this passage, Jesus is talking about people who follow the gospel. He's not even talking about the wider community. It's like blowing on something to cool it down, to calm it down. This love, this self-giving commitment to other people for their benefit would start to decrease as lawlessness increased, according to Jesus. And cold love in people leads to self-centeredness, laziness, apathy, lifelessness, and powerlessness, including among Christians. There's a lot of churches that are lifeless and powerless because their love has grown cold because of the lawlessness in their midst. And they're not dealing with that. And love-cooling lawlessness ultimately leads to social breakdown. We see it in our country. We see it in terms of policing. We see it in terms of the Bank of England. We see it in terms of our UK government. We see it in terms of our churches. There's so many layers where this increase in lawlessness has led to the decrease of love, which has led to the decrease of the functioning of our society. And I'm afraid it's probably going to get much worse before it get much, gets much better. So now you're thoroughly depressed. <laughs> it's pretty bad. And I tell you, sometimes I get really depressed. 
sometimes I get really, really discouraged because there's been a change and I've seen the change. In the two decades plus now that I've lived in London, I've seen the change. What do we do? Is there an antidote? Yes, there is, obviously. And we need to apply it. You need to apply this antidote in your life. You can't do it for other people. You have to do it for yourself. Because Jesus says that endurance is the solution to lawlessness. We need to endure amidst lawlessness. That's the key. Endure amidst lawlessness. Endurance is the solution to lawlessness and the solution to the love in us that grows cold. As Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures will experience salvation, healing, preservation, being kept from danger. The one who endures, who continues following Jesus, continues in their faith, continues to, to, to love and worship Jesus and be together with his people, despite the resistance and the opposition. The people who decide, I'm going to resist this lawlessness by holding my ground, by standing fast. Endurance, endurance helps us to live above lawlessness, to overcome lawlessness in our lives, which is the key, which is what we can do. So how do we endure? How do we put into practice what Jesus has said? The one who endures to the end, the one who endures all the way, that's the one we, who will be saved. How do we put it into practice? A few suggestions. First of all, repent quickly. We all sin. We all mess up. Sometimes we do things that we don't want to do. Sometimes we do things that shock ourselves. If you do that, if you sin, repent. That means you say, God, I acknowledge that I sinned. It doesn't mean you blame somebody else for it. You know, if I say, well, God, yes, you know, I did this, but Olashina made me do it. That's not repenting. That's excusing myself. Right? So you own it. If you sin, nobody else is responsible but you. Doesn't matter. Oh, somebody said this to me, did this to me. Doesn't matter. If you sin, it's your deal. And that's good news because you can repent. So you confess the sin. You renounce it. You say, God, I don't want that in my life. You turn away from it and then you replace it with a godly activity. So you tell a lie. We, we do that sometimes. You tell a lie. You say, God, oh man, I'm sorry. I just told a lie. There was no excuse for it. I lied. I renounced that lie and I am choosing to tell the truth from now on, beginning with the person I just lied to. I'm going to go and fess up to what I did, own up to what I did. So you got to repent quickly. Don't wait till tomorrow morning to repent. Don't wait till tonight before bed to repent. If you sin now, repent now. And repentance always works because of the cross of Christ. There's nothing magical in it. Jesus did everything for it. He died on the cross. He paid the price for that sin. So when you repent, you apply the cross to that point of need in your life. And God hears it. 
Second thing, if you're going to endure, you have to forgive fully and immediately. Forgive fully. Forgiveness is a choice. Someone said, well, I want to forgive, but I don't feel like forgiving. Well, forget your feelings. Choose to forgive. It's a choice. You say, God, I choose to forgive this person which did this thing to me, which made me feel this way. I ask you to heal my damaged emotions, and I ask you to heal that person. And you need to forgive immediately. And forgiveness is between you and God. It's not between you and the other person. You don't have to go to the person and say, you really hurt me. In fact, the person may not know they hurt you. They may not even need to know they hurt you. Just forgive them. Say, God, I choose to forgive this person for saying this thing or doing this thing, which made me feel this way. And I ask you to heal my damaged emotions. And I ask you to bless that person. So forgive fully and immediately. To endure, number three, you need to strive for personal holiness and discipline. You need to strive for it. It's work. It doesn't come naturally. It's what he, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. Strive for it. That means you need to strive to exercise self-discipline as a priority. Most Sunday mornings, I don't want to come to church. I just don't. I have to tell you that. But I don't. And then I start thinking about the people I'm going to be with and everything like that. And then I really don't want to come. No, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but you know how it is. We've been there, right? You know, but it takes discipline. I get up. That's what I'm doing. That's where I got to be. Well, every day I need to pray. And I've learned if I don't pray every day, first thing in the morning, it messes up the whole day. It's bad. And so we need to practice those kinds of discipline. Discipline is not ministry, but it prepares us for ministry. Also, we need to, to strive for holiness, living a life that's pleasing unto God. And that's a lot of work. So to do those things, we need to eliminate distractions. I realized a couple of weeks ago that I was allowing too many distractions in my quiet time, reading the newspaper and some other things like that. So I've had to eliminate that. So you've got to eliminate the distractions. You need to choose your focus carefully and really be careful of how much news and social media you take in. Because news and social media and all that stuff can pollute your spirit. It very rarely energizes your spirit in a positive way. And so you have to be careful on those things. Barring those who are joining us via Zoom, you're doing the right thing. So don't worry about that. Um, and then another way to endure is to become unoffendable. You know what? You cannot be offended unless you choose to take offense. It's a choice you make. It's a choice you make. And so if somebody offends you, don't take it. Maybe they do it on purpose. Well, that's okay. You know, if I'm going to give you a bomb... You can say, no, I'm not going to take that bomb. No, don't take it and blow up. Just, you take it, you keep it. You know, if someone wants to offend you, don't take it. Just say, I'm not going to take that. 
I'm not going to use that. I'm not going to let you do that to me. Taking offense always kills love. Always. So don't take it. It's like poison. It's like poison. Then the next thing, nurture your love for God. If you're going to endure, you've got to nurture that love. Nurture your love for God through serving, doing good. Uh, no, excuse me. Through thanksgiving, worship, choosing joy, reading God's word, meeting faithfully with God's people. Just do anything you can to nurture the love that you have for God. And do it every day. In the same way, nurture your love for others. And the way you nurture love for other people is not by telling them how they can please you. It doesn't work. The way you nurture your love for other people is by serving them, by doing good, by speaking good to them and about them, by choosing to see the good in them, and by believing the best of them, even when they disappoint you. This nurtures love in other people because everybody's going to disappoint you. Most everybody will hurt you at some point in time. If I haven't hurt you or offended you yet as a minister in this church, just hang around long enough and it happens. It happens. We do that to each other. But we need to nurture our love for one another by doing good, by serving, by speaking good, seeing the best in each other, giving grace to each other. And we have to, we're living in lawlessness. If we're going to endure, we have to trust God's protection even when you don't sense his presence. You know, when I was standing there in that bus stop, I didn't sense God was around me. I didn't sense that anything was going on. I was just really happy that Andrew and I had, were, had full bellies and, and full spirits in our, in our lunch together. And then in that moment, when somebody tried to take something from me that God thwarted, all of a sudden, I realized, hey, God is with me. He even let my phone down. My phone landed on the face. Uh, slid across the, the tarmac and was undamaged. I mean, that's not because the maker is that good. It's because God is that good. Now, your, your results may vary, but I know in that moment that God was with me, that God was protecting me. So you have to resist fear and anxiety. You need to practice the presence of God. But understand, we can endure. we got to trust God. And we don't give in to fear because lawlessness is a very fearful thing. And we're seeing it, but we don't give in to it. We can see what happens when lawlessness increases. Again, just by looking at places like France right now. And it's going to increase. I can see, we can see the breakdown in churches that have happened because lawlessness is increasing. And I have to be honest with you, I've really been struggling to love London for a few years now. As I've seen this lawlessness, you know, everything in me, it's the Wild West part of my Americanness, I think. Everything in me rises up and I want to pull out my six shooters and put on my sheriff's badge, you know, and clean up the town. But that's not my job, and in fact, you know what? That's another manifestation of lawlessness. Thinking that we are the enforcer when we're not. And so instead of 
trying to get rid of lawlessness, I'd actually be contributing to lawlessness if I took that approach. Endurance is a struggle sometimes. But we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, surrender your life to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose bodily from the dead. Fill me with your spirit and be my leader. I surrender to you. Just a prayer like that. Just enter that right now if you've not done it. But if you have, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You also have the grace of God upon your life every single day. When you mess up, God's grace is there. When you forget to forgive, God's grace is there to nudge you, to remind you, to help you. And we have faith in Jesus, who we know who died on the cross and rose from the grave as a direct affront to lawlessness and the demons behind it. And we know that Jesus Christ wins, that he triumphs over all lawlessness. And this is the God we serve, and this is the God we follow. And therefore, we can endure, and we can have a love that does not grow cold, but a love that ever burns more and more brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like as the writer to the Hebrew says, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we see this lawlessness all around us. And we pray for your grace and your mercy and your favor to come upon our nation, to push back the lawlessness, to pour out your spirit in a major revival that will push back the lawlessness. But in the meantime, Lord Jesus, I pray that you come and help us to endure. Even as you endured the cross and scorned the shame, help us to endure for your sake by the power of